Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to the Artifact Scene podcast in this month's episode. We debrief the Christmas quiz. A massive, massive thanks again goes out to David and Jesse Peterson for coming on the show. We're back in the city of Lansk where we meet an incredibly self-aware baker. No man has ever been more self-aware. This baker gets it. 100%. No sarcasm. Bill and I discuss how we're going to deal with nominal number in his conlang, and we round it off by talking about a TV show called Outlander and tabletop gaming. All that, plus lots more, in this month's episode. Alright, hello everyone, AP803, which actually, Bill, translated into Base 10, I believe is the 99th episode of the that podcast. Right, yeah. Yeah, which means that we've actually recorded more than 100 episodes, technically, with our point releases. Um, yeah. But maybe we could do something fun for the 100th episode. I realize we should probably wait till we get to, like, um, 100 in base 12, but that's a long way yeah. away. So, um, anyway, anyway, um, 803, first episode of the new year. Welcome to 2024, everyone, and welcome, Bill, too. Sup? How has how has twenty twenty four been? How has the first seven days of twenty twenty four been? The first seven days of twenty twenty four have been uneventful. Um, I I've drunk a lot of tea and I've watched a lot of television and I've uh, slept. Um, and that's kind of it. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Excellent. It's been chill. It's an exciting life. A chill. I've said it before. A chill life is what you really want. Um, no one wants drama or at least I don't want drama in my life I just want everything to be really chill and really nice and lovely Um, no gusto no gusto so uh, yes Uh, shall we crack into some follow up hell yeah alright first item is uh, we made the uh, fourth annual um, Artifacting Christmas pub quiz last month Um, so for anyone who hasn't seen it links in the show notes go check it out uh we had the honor and privilege of uh having david j peterson and jesse peterson on uh the podcast which was amazing and our first kind of like what i would call i guess outside the click guests i suppose um guests that aren't kind of sort of personal ish friends um so i was very nervous very very nervous about it and uh turns out my nerves led to some really stupid errors <laughs> and i just I, I, I listened back to the quiz and i'm like i'm glad everyone i think had fun but oh my god things could have went so much smoother um like Why? What, what do you think went wrong well i i unplugged my mic for half of the show oh yeah that wasn't great no, that wasn't great at all. It's like we had a special, we had special guests on Edgar. Why did you do this? Uh, and I just, you know, listeners didn't hear this, but I got really flustered in the middle of the recording and like made stupid errors and said dumb things, um, which you know didn't make it into the final cut, but still, uh, I think detracted slightly from the experience. Um, but one of the one of the biggest errors uh, is uh, involving name explain, uh, and I need to like issue an apology kind of um we had said that uh so the, the way it works back up right how this worked was we, we're at a point now where we've had so many people on the christmas pub quiz um that we can't have the exact same cast coming back every single year it's just too many people and it'll be like a five-hour recording session um and no one wants that no one has the time for that so we kind of have to like select a six six people um 
So we sent out a bunch of emails and we were like, listen, it has to be like a sort of first come, first serve basis, basis, reserve a place, etc. Um, there were seven people we contacted. So one person got the raw end of the deal and that person was Name Explain. And um, links in the show notes, by the way, to Name, Name Explain's channel. Um, and Name Explain was like, oh, I'd really like to contribute in, in some way, if that's okay. And I was like, yeah, sure. How about um, at the end of the show, uh, instead of me reading out the answers, we could have a little voice note from yourself. You could be like, hey, Patrick here, couldn't make it this year, you know, but Merry Christmas, everyone, Happy New Year, here's the results, yada, yada. And it'd be a nice way of including everyone um, without stretching out the duration of the show. Um, in order for that to occur, I would have needed to like set that up at the start and been like, here's what we're doing, guys. Name explain will come on and do this, etc." Um and I just totally forgot to set that up. And I totally forgot at the end to drop that in, basically. Um, so I just, I forgot. I, this is, I think, the second time I just forgot about Name Explain. And so I wrote him an email and was like, I'm really sorry, man. I forgot about you again. And he was, Patrick was so chill. He was like, yeah, no worries, man. Um, would be great if I could uh, uh, come along next year or whatever. So Patrick, thank you for being sound. I, I'm just so sorry I forgot about you entirely because I was so racked with nerves. Uh during the recording session. So that was another thing that went wrong, Bill. Thank you for being chill, Patrick. Yeah, like Patrick's great. Patrick's just wonderful. Um, and the final thing that went wrong, uh, just as a sort of public flogging, a catharsis, um, a sadomasochistic catharsis I want to do with myself here, is I totally forgot uh, to do introductions. <laughs> which is just like, you know, host 101. Maybe, Edgar, when there's new people on, you should probably introduce everyone before we start. And so it was really embarrassing. We did, because didn't we? There was, no. there was introductions in, in, the, in the recording that I listened to. Well, no, Everyone so, said who they were. So, yeah, what I did, though, was I stuck to the format without thinking. And the format was recurring guests they just say hello so i'm like yeah. we have bib and they go hello and then i was like we got special new guests and uh, jesse and david did some introductions but jesse and david don't necessarily know all the other people right oh that's true yeah <laughs> so afterwards i got a message from, from david being like who is lichen and i was like oh i'm so sorry <laughs> Just we recorded for like three hours, and and David and Jesse were like, I don't know who these people are, <laughs> and just like I failed so miserably at being a host. So I guess one has to just learn from mistakes. I mean, you said you made some of the mistakes previously as well, so maybe maybe you don't live and learn. Jeez, thanks, Bill, for the vote of confidence there. Way I'm, to make I'm, me I'm feel just, I'm even just better empirically. <laughs> I know. I get I just I get shocked and flustered altogether. I really do. Um, and I just need to, I need to just be a bit chiller. I think next year what I'm going to do is just make a, a bulletproof checklist and just refer to that constantly, um, to make sure I have all my bases covered. Uh, but in any case, in any case, most of this, most of these, these issues aside from the mic didn't make it on the recording. So I just want to encourage people. The show is not a write-off. Like it's a really good show. Uh, please go watch the show links in the description. Go check it out. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've some reservations about it, but... You have some reservations about it. Maybe those are more personal than. Oh no! Should should I should I interrogate, or is this something that's cuttable, or is this a joke? It's it's mostly a joke. It's mostly a joke. Are you going to have to tell me? (laughs) It's a hundred percent a joke. It was dethroned. (laughs) Yeah. So for anyone who didn't see it, Bill lost. 
first time. Vic- I, I came second. Hold on. <laughs> but my, my streak of victory, my unbroken streak of victory has come to an end in the but, Artifexian Christmas pub quiz. But wait a minute. Hold on, Bill. The, you coming second means that you lost. You didn't even take part, Edgar. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I lost by default. <laughs> <laughs> you um, lose 100% of the table quizzes you don't take part in. That's, Wayne Gretzky said that. That's exactly it. Um, so, anyway, that was the quiz. Uh, like I said, go check it out. Um, it was great. And some some baller questions. Uh, Bibs round, I thought, was awesome. Bibs round was great. Um, so, it was good fun. Um now, the other thing on this uh, uh, tangentially related is I want to give a shout out to Jessie Peterson. Um, she has, who was who was a guest on the quiz, uh, she has released a new project called Conlang Gear. Uh, links in the show notes. Um, and I would highly encourage everyone to go check this out. What this is basically is that for every day of the year of 2024, uh, on Jessie's website, she'll be posting, um, like, I guess, prompts um designed to get you creating languages and the goal is cool. by the end of uh 2024 you will have created a language and it's this is obviously targeted uh, as far as i'm uh, aware at kind of beginner low intermediate sort of thing but even more advanced people i think will get something out of it um if for nothing else than just like a framework to kind of like um focus your thoughts um, so I strongly recommend checking out. There's obviously, there's been seven posts, I would assume, because we're seven days into the year, but um, you can totally make up the time because they're designed to be quite doable, you know? Uh, it's not like day one, figure out all your phonology. You know, you're given a lots of time to do this. So super mm-hmm. interesting project, and I'm just a huge fan of Jesse's stuff. Um, so please go check it out, uh, show her some love, etc. And also, uh, I want to plug again, uh, Langtime Studio, which is Jesse and David's uh, YouTube channel, where they are creating uh, languages for a bunch of animals for a board game that is yet to be released. Go check it out. Links in description. Um, that is my follow-up. Have you got anything? Yes. So in a recent episode, I think maybe... 801 or 80, uh, you asked me some questions about the greater Abeski culture and the history of the Abeski culture to kind of get an idea of where they're coming from to help us with the, the Conlanging project. Mm-hmm. Um, and I described their religion as being somewhat deist or that they're being sort of deist tendencies, um, you know, belief in a non interventionist God. And all of you being um, corrected me somewhat on that and uh, brought up that deism is a little bit more specific in its meaning than the way I was using it. It's more specifically based in the Enlightenment and ideas of uh, rationality so that it was less that the God just doesn't take part, but that it's more of a way of kind of taking a, a Christian view of God and explaining it through reason and without um, excess supernatural uh, events mm-hmm. is the point that we're making. Um, so, yeah, deism is probably the wrong word to use there. It, it is similar in that there there may be a god that, in a creator sense that doesn't take an active role in things, but the term I actually use is probably a bit more specific than, than was accurate. Do you know what term you should have used? 
Is there a term for what you're talking about? Other than non-interventionist, I don't really know. Okay, okay. Um, so Bill lost the quiz and uh, lost in the marketplace of ideas uh, uh, as pertaining to religion. Just L's all over. <laughs> L's all over. Uh, but hey, hey, this, this was all last year. It's 2024 sure, now. Sure, sure. Last yeah. year it was Lil. This year it is Will. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> B-I-dub-dub instead of B-I-L-L. B-I-dub-dub. <laughs> uh shout out all of you bean one of uh the many bean related uh listeners <laughs> and possibly was it the og bean i can't remember who was someone started the bean meme it might have been olive maybe i don't know either way one of the beans um okay um that's that's all i got for follow-up um shall we cool. shall we do some uh world building World building. What do you got for us? Um, we are going to check in on how things are going in the Old Tower district of Lansk after the end of the recent insurrection. Very good. Mujits. I trust the lapse in our discourse requires no explanation or forgiveness, old friend. We are but recently able to send letters beyond the city once more, after the insurrection that struck my district. I understand Mirsphere has not gone without similar agitation and suffering. I regret this sincerely for your fine city, and I rejoice that the greater terror that held Lansk is yet a stranger to you. I hope to hear gladder news of your affairs than the sad tale I give you today. I won't inflict upon you further accounts of the agitator's occupation, I cannot tell you anything that has not been printed in broadsheets, though I counsel you to doubt the more lurid stories. Since the district's liberation, however, our business has not returned to its previous condition. I was in the unenviable position of providing a necessary product to citizens of the district, and so I was forced to deal with the executive and the self-appointed tyrants of the supply committee. I had no wish to support or validate their actions, but had less wish for the innocent population to starve. Thus, with no small distaste, I continued to produce bread with grain supplied by the executive, to be distributed by the executive, even at times relying on workers assigned by the executive. Collaboration it was not, Mujitz, as it was performed under duress and only out of necessity. Regardless, when the bailiffs and the companies took back the district, I could easily have been accused of treachery were it not for my bakery being shut down for lack of material. A scarce two days prior, I had a cart of grains stolen from my yard, the very last in the city that I could secure. I could not prove the author of this outrage, though I know it to have been on behalf of Pivan. That scoundrel has not been seen since the night of the battle when his brewery was destroyed. The loss of that brew is a sore blow to Lansk. The man shall not be mourned so deeply. Nevertheless, this theft proved fortunate, as I had to suspend operation and thus the company had no basis to accuse me of collaboration with agitators on that first day, a day of brutal reprisal. I said, however, circumstances have not improved. Supply is still disrupted, 
as despite the collapse of the barricades, the Arthani no longer trade here and the companies are struggling to deliver supplies sufficient to our needs. Many of my workers have fled or been arrested. Good, dependable men and women, who I never suspected of agitation in years of employment, are nowhere to be found. Those who remain are often without homes, or grievously injured, or seeking better employment than the wages I can promise on such meagre trade. A new Tamari agent has been deployed to distribute capital in aid of reconstruction, but I like her not. It's said she was a licensed prospector and a brute. Whether this is true I cannot confirm, but despite abundant rumours of her rough conduct, she has taken on many clients and partners among my fellow business owners. I hope I will not need to resort to her aid. You no doubt heard of the slaying of Chief Bailiff Te Eintof, your fellow son of Mirsphere. I never thought to ask, did you know him? I can only hope the new appointee, Ahiram Sarta, will not repeat to Eintoff's mistakes. The zeal he has shown in the first days of his office exceeds what is required. Raids of businesses and homes are commonplace, carried out upon the least suspicion, and are far more brutal than is wise. Though I have not been subjected to Sarta's attentions yet, I fear that any day he may come, he and his bailiffs backed by Tamari marines. As you see, Mujits, my situation is dire, perhaps as dire as ever it was beneath the agitators. I know not of your situation, owing to our isolation from business matters, but I ask you, any spare capital you may have to lend me, or other assistance you could render, would be a great boon to an old friend in need. A stake in my business is forthcoming, should this be favourable, and my gratitude will be a surer bond still. I await your reply, and hope to hear of your continued success and prosperity. Your friend, Chlen Chalev. Awesome. Give me two moments. I'm yep. not going to lie. I started thinking about the uh, Abeski sound changes during the penultimate paragraph, and I didn't listen <laughs> to any of it. So just give me a moment to read that. Okay, okay. All right, cool. Um, that, that is a long one, and there's a lot in this to cover. Um, so buckle up, Bill. <laughs> um, as usual, give us, give us the old summary, and I'll just try and make more questions. So the city of Lansk, where the author of this letter lives, um, recently had an insurrection where a, a group of labor agitators took over part of the city and they held control of it for a while and then it was brutally ended by the city government and by the Tamar company and the Eltian company. The companies being sort of like big trading organizations with military power, not unlike colonial companies of the 1800s, the 17 and 1800s. Um, here... This, this man, Chlen Chalev, is writing to a friend in another city, uh, just telling him what happened uh, in the aftermath of the insurrection's end. And how, even though the status quo has been restored, um, he, as a business owner who is not aligned with agitation, is still not having a good time. 
Do you know the subreddit self-aware wolves? <laughs> I think so. This this is very self-aware wolvesy, where it's like, oh, agitation, terrible, ruffian, scoundrels, law and order needs to be reestablished, and then it is, and, and, he, and the guy's like, oh, this isn't good at all. <laughs> and it's like... Uh, is, is that a bit like... Um... Uh, leopards ate my face or whatever it is yeah i think it's of the same sort of like ilk. I, I guess actually leopards ate my face is probably more analogous here um whereas because self-aware wolves is kind of like a person making a point and they're like very very close to you know getting the truth but just fell at the last hurdle whereas yeah. leopards ate, ate my face is more like i fully back this thing and then the thing comes into fruition and uh, they suddenly realize they didn't actually want that at all. Um, gotcha. So this is very like that, uh, where it's kind of like, I guess, yeah, I guess it's self-rewards in the sense of like, he, he's almost there. It's almost as if all the agitation and revolution, you know, uh, was occurring because of an oppressive um, kind of regime. And he, the regime comes back and he's like, wait a minute, this is oppressive. Like, like he, he almost gets the point of why this rebellion would occur. Um, but in any case, in any case, uh, that's sort of an overarching feeling I got while listening to you read it. Um, first things first, this uh, Mujit's uh, character, um, this mm-hmm. is a new chap um, from the, from the, um, from the pros. Uh, we know that he is a business owner in Mearsphere. Um, yes. Anything more on that? Like, what does he do? What's his shtick? Um, I don't know. He's not uh, a company man. He's not a member of a company. He's he's a, a more independent. Um, and uh, yeah, I hadn't really thought about specifically what he does all that deeply. Um, some kind of machine shop, maybe makes hmm. tools. Okay. And the relationship he has with the letter writer. Um, I'm gonna get the name wrong. Glen uh, Chavel. Um, what's that relationship like? How little uh, Khalev? Isn't it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Glen uh, Khalev. Um, how did they come to be friends or whatever? Because like he's from Mearsphere, the other fellows from Lansk, and what's the? Is there a backstory there? Um, I I feel like they were kind of friends as younger men. Maybe mm. they maybe they were educated together or something, or they served an apprenticeship in a business together, something like that. Hmm. Okay. Um. The, the letter writer, uh, mm-hmm. again, sorry, the name is Glenn. Uh, Glenn uh, writes, I understand Mearsphere has not gone without similar agitation and suffering. Um, so there was rebellion sort of stuff happening in that city too. Yes, that was touched on before hmm. um, because uh, Yarta Yarlen, uh, some of his family were killed in a, in a riot. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that was uh, a similar, this sort of similar movement. Or are these isolated pockets that just all happen to coincide? Um, like, yes to both. <laughs> sure. Like I mean, they, they, yeah. they, they were, it was an agitation thing as well, but it wasn't done in coordination with what happened in Lansk. Right, yeah, yeah. So there's not like an overarching, um, I guess, authority conducting this. There's no, no maestro at the pulpit? What do you call the thing in orchestra? Where you stand, where the conductor stands? What's that stand um, called? Podium. Podium. There's no maestro at the podium conducting all of this rebellion. Um, or is there? 
Dun, dun, dun. No. Um, no, there's not. Um, that would be very cartoony, I think. Um, the first point at which I was kind of like, this is very leopard ape my face, self-aware wolves, was the line in that first paragraph where you say, since the district's liberation, however, our business has not returned to its previous condition. And I was like, yeah, I wonder if that's because the bad guys moved back in, pal. <laughs> which was fun. Um, so the the second paragraph is interesting because um, he, uh, Glenn talks about like having to produce grain that's supplied by the executive, distributed by the executive, and the workers assigned by the executive. The executive being the sort of like um, rebellion governing body in a way. Um, yeah. And he paints that as a sort of like real negative thing. But like, that sounds great. <laughs> Do you know, like if there is going to be a rebellion and a change of power, what you don't want is kind of like chaos. It, it sounds great that the, the, the agitators set up um, these sort of like structures and allowed people to continue a normal life. Um, so I'm assuming then that this is his kind of bias coming through. He sees these ag- agitators as being bad people and whatever they do is bad, regardless of whether or not it actually was beneficial to him am i reading that correctly well you see he's he's looking at it from a, a business point of view that he can't conduct his business freely as he sees fit it's being dictated to him by the by the executive and by the supply committee oh okay okay so he's a capitalist and they're a bunch of communists and he's unhappy he's a business owner certainly yeah and and he he that is what his interest is Right. Okay. Okay. So he's he he doesn't have free trade, and I guess yeah, he wouldn't have the ability. I'm assuming to just like ramp up prices, for example, because of scarcity. That was probably being controlled by the executive, so he's a bit yeah. hemmed in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. So and but I guess I guess I kind of do feel for him a little bit here because as he goes on to say, uh, either in this paragraph or in the later ones, it's like I had to cooperate. And but but in cooperating, if the status quo was returned, um, or is to be returned, I would be seen as a sympathizer. Um, yeah. and that's kind of I get like it's not unreasonable. It's no, it's not unreasonable. Like he had to do what he had to do, and he was kind of he was stuck between a rock and a hard place. He was stuck between a baguette and a soda bread because <laughs> he's a baker. Lol. Um, so <laughs> that's cool. So I like that there's kind of shades to it there, which is which is fun. Yeah, on that topic of dealing with the the executive and the supply committee mm-hmm. in the next uh, next paragraph, there is a callback to a previous episode, a previous entry in the the tale of Lansk. Oh no, in, in classic Edgar fashion, I've not spotted it. What 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 is this? Kalev had a cart of grains stolen from his yard and he knows it was the work of Pivan the brewer. Oh, yeah, we met the brewer before, didn't we? Yes, he wrote a previous letter. Um, Trouble in the brewery. Uh, I can't remember what that was. It was a few episodes ago. Oh, so Pivan was robbing the grain. Yes, Pivan stole the grain and um, wrote a letter to the supply committee where he just like offhandedly said, oh, by the way, I had nothing to do with that. Um, yeah, it was, uh, no, this was, that was a good while ago. That was like eight months ago. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was lying and we knew he was lying and uh, Halev knew that it was him that did it to get uh, material to make a beer with. But it looks like uh, he's dead, so. 
Uh, I love the line, the loss of that brew because the brewery went under is a sore blow to Lansk. Uh, colon, semicolon. The man shall not be mourned so deeply. That is brutal. <laughs> we care more about his beer than him. Everyone hates it was, Pavan. It was a nice beer, but the two guys didn't get along. <laughs> no, they clearly didn't. Uh, they clearly, clearly didn't. Um, at the end of that paragraph, um, nevertheless, this this theft was fortunate as I had to suspend operations and thus the company had no basis to accuse me of collaboration with agitators on that first day. Shout out Pavan for doing my solid. Um, but then the, the next part, a day of brutal reprisal. That was another point where I was kind of like, is he going to get it? Is the baker going to get it? That it's like the, the status quo has come back and shock horror, reminder, it's brutal. Um, but he doesn't. Like we've we've heard the end of the story. Like he, he doesn't go, actually, you know, the agitators are all right. They had a point. Um, so it's just mad how he just kind of like sees all the evidence and then just comes to what I think is just a completely wrong conclusion here. Um, but there you go. I guess he's just trying to make the money happy. So there you go. You know, that's what it is. Um, I like the part in the next paragraph. He said the Earthani no longer trade here, here being Lansk, and the companies are struggling to deliver sufficient uh, supplies sufficient to our needs. Um, those smelly Earthani, turns out you might actually need them. Cooperation, not an entirely bad thing. So again, he should be getting it. He should be like, actually, when the Earthani were about, that was actually better. Like, what's changed here? But alas, nothing. And I, I will say on that, um, I it is very possible that the companies are just not delivering supplies sufficient to their needs when they are able to. Um, but if they don't, then people are going to be more desperate and then more, more uh, reliant on what the company do provide, more reliant to go to the company for loans and capital and things. Oh, I, I didn't even read it like that at all. I read it like... Um we thought these companies were so, so great, but when push comes to shove, they don't actually have the means to mm. be able to serve us. And again, thinking it, if, if, in it in the sort of self-aware wolf sort of thing, it's like, well, the executives seem to be doing an okay job with ensuring that your, uh, your bakery is supplied with grain, etc. It's like, yeah, you can't like hike up prices, but like everything was running fine. But now the companies are back and nothing is running fine again. Um, well, it wasn't really running fine. It was very, very difficult because they were barricaded. But it's not like it's a lot better either now. Or I guess, to rephrase, would have had the potential to be running fine in the longer run. Obviously, post some sort of like um, uh, seismic shift in the culture, say, things are going to be a bit rough. But when things settle down, there's a potential in that. I, I read anyways, in in the for what the executive is doing to be a, a boon in the long run. Um, I love the line as well. Um, Many of my workers have fled or been arrested. Good, dependable men and women who I never suspected of agitation in years of employment are nowhere to be found. Um, I like that, like, they're hiding amongst you. <laughs> the unionist is amongst your workforce. <laughs> like, you don't know who these people are. I love that. And I also think it, 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 it speaks to, as well, the sort of... Um, uh, I guess, how do I phrase it? Like the, the, the sort of business classes lack of understanding and immersion in those that they employ. Like they just, mm -hmm. the, the people they employ are just like these ants that go around doing all their, like all their dirty work, but they don't actually think about them at all. Um, 
And this guy's kind of like, yeah, there's actually a shocking amount of agitation going on amongst them. Who would have thunk it, eh? It's not incumbent upon me to, like, know my workforce, befriend them, that sort of thing. Um, so I think that line is doing uh, lots of duty there. And I think that's cool. Really cool. It's, it is doing that. And also what, it, what it's doing is that a lot of these uh, arrests or um, escapes or whatever are actually just innocent people who, who have been wrongly accused and wrongly imprisoned or who had to, had to flee for uh, unwarranted persecution. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's made kind of implicit, I guess, in the next bit where we uh, call back to another one. I think I got this one. Uh, a new Tamari agent has been deployed to distrib- uh, distribute capital in aid of reconstruction, but I like her not. That's the the lady from a previous letter. They brought in a new, like, um, what was it? Like, the barbarian lady. I can't remember what exactly her role was. But the bar- <laughs> barbarian? Yeah, in my head I have her as a barbarian because he painted her as like kind of a big, like a brute. Um, and I just have in my head, I've been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate 3. In my head, she's a barbarian. <laughs> uh, more, more, of, more of a heartless bureaucrat. Oh, I th- uh, sorry. Now that you say that, I, I recall having this conversation with you on a previous episode. And I think you brought up heartless bureaucrat as opposed to like yeah. thug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's... Uh, Regana Tsiothnan. That's the one. And that's a call. That is, that is her, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That okay. is her. Um... So I'm assuming again, if she is if she is a brute, uh, I think he calls her a brute. Yeah, um, then the idea that a lot of innocents are being arrested and detained or whatever um, seems perfectly reasonable, like a perfectly reason a reasonable reading of the previous uh, line. Um, she would be less involved in that side of things. Oh, is she not overseeing like everything? No. Oh, I guess yeah. No. Distribute capital in aid of reconstruction. Yeah. Um, she's she's doing uh, financial nastiness, not um, oppressive uh, policing nastiness. Um, and I also like the line uh, at the end of that paragraph, I hope I will not need to resort to her aid, which is very grim because, again, it's like the people, like my team are back in power, but I do not want to rely on my team. Relying yeah. on my team is scary. And I think that's, it almost makes me feel for the baker because it's, again, between a baguette and a soda bread, it's like you can't really win. Um, but then I'm reminded of where his sympathies lie and I'm like, I don't like you, pal. So there you go. Um, now, uh, chief bailiff to Eintoff, uh, rip, rip to the goat. Um, he was, he was the dude who got offed, uh, during the, or during or after the insurrection. It was after the, in, uh, insurrection or the agitation. It was, it was in the, the kind of the battle that ended the insurrection, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a new one, this uh, Ahirin Sarta. Um, tell me about this person. Uh, he, it's a he. Tell me about him. Uh, he is, yeah, so he's the new chief bailiff of Lansk. And he is, in fact, a former uh, Tamar company man. And is, in effect, uh, just an extension of... Uh, Dejag Tshenshaw's uh, influence. Dejag Tshenshaw being like the main uh, company guy in Lansk at the moment. This main is our company guy. This is a new character, though. We haven't met this person before. Ahiran. No, yeah. we haven't met yeah. him before. Um, and what's his shtick? Is he an old grizzled sort of dude? Is he a young up and comer? Um, he he's a, a young young enough up and comer who's who's kind of recently gone into uh, a city career. 
like a municipal career after having served in the Tamari Marines. And is he there on merit or is he there on kind of nepotism? Will he be good at his job? Not not direct nepotism. It's not like they didn't have the power to like appoint him as such, but uh, company influence was was critical in, in getting him to where he is. Um, he will be uh, brutally effective at his job. Mm. Okay. And, and just on the question of youth here, it, it, it mm. occurs to me, um, what is considered young here? Because in a way, like youth, being young or old is very kind of like um, dependent on the time you live. Um, yeah. Because, you know, back in the day, like nine-year-olds were kings and all that sort of nonsense. Um, <laughs> it, you know, and you have like an 11-year-old like running a bakery or some some jazz like that. And they would be, you know, a lot more forced to become a lot more mature than perhaps modern people are earlier. Um, th- when you say young, this person is young, what sort of age are we thinking here? Yeah, uh, I would say like kind of like early thirties. Oh, oh, so young in the in the very modern sense. Yeah, I mean, like not like, um, yeah, not like super super young, but also not you know a person at the 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 height of their career. They're still you know relatively young in in terms of how long they will they, they can go. Because I was wondering, you know, enough enough to have had to be to be able to distinguish themselves in company service, and then, you know, go on to to do a second job as a bailiff. Because I'm reminded because we might talk about this in the green room, but I'm watching a, a TV program called Outlander, and yeah. uh, I don't think this is spoilers per se. It's pretty. It's a pretty. Yeah, it's it's fine. But at one point, um, the 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 characters in this show are at sea. This is set in like the seventeen hundreds, the eighteenth century. Yeah. Um, at one point, the characters are at sea. Uh, a illness sweeps the, a ship and kills the captain, the first mate, which I think is below the captain, and then whatever is below yeah. that again. So this it kills second mate. Second mate. It kills the top three dudes, and mm-hmm. whoever is in fourth is forced to assume captaincy. And uh, it, it is revealed to us that this person, I think, is something like 16 or 17. And they're a full-ass captain of, like, a giant galley ship uh, doing, like, slave trading and things like that. And it, it just reminded me of the fact that, like, people, I think, are forced to become older, younger, back in the day because of how brutal the world is. Um, yeah, I mean, in in the late 1700s, early 1800s, uh midshipmen who were like kind of officer cadets you you could be sent to to see as a midshipman aged 13 yeah yeah which is and then you like you you would be in theory in charge of adult men right away nearly which is just it's just insane you know it's just absolutely insane there's one character on the show as well uh who was i think they were 14 and they were asked, uh, this is another person on this crew, they were asked, like, how, when, how long have you been at sea? And the, the kid replies, since I was seven. So 50% of that chap's life was spent laboring on the open seas. And you're like, that is awful. Like, I'm really glad that we have protections against child labor. <laughs> that's just so grim. Um, real quick, this is 
tangentially related, but uh, you'll like this because it's 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 complaining about the powers to be. Um, <laughs> the young people, right? Uh, I'm sure you're aware of this. I'm sure everyone's aware of this, but just to get it off my chest. I, I've heard of them. But I, I hate the term young people as is used by like the government or at least the government in Ireland. I don't know what it's like everywhere else, but they're always like young people can't afford to buy homes, right? And the sort of image that that conjures in your head is someone who's like 21 and you kind of yeah. think to yourself you're like oh that's natural right like they're 21 they're probably broke still in college of course they can't afford to buy a home but you know they'll get their degree they'll get a good stable job and when they're like you know just before they're 30 or whatever then they'll they'll move out of being young and they'll become an old person who who has who can acquire you know houses and capital and things like that but the problem there is that the term young people who they're actually referring to are like geriatric millennials who are touching on 40 and they're still referring to them as young Beyond people. Beyond 40. Beyond 40, exactly. And they're still referring to them as young people. And I think that maybe this is a bit conspiratorial, but I think that's a deliberate ploy to downplay the um, the failures of like legislation and government over the past like generation plus uh, because it's so damaging optically if they were to turn around and be like anyone between the ages of, we'll say, you know, you're an adult at 18, so 18 and 40 plus can't ever own a home. Like if they were, if they were to frame it like that, that would be a, like a PR nightmare. But I think they deliberately frame it as in young people. So we don't really bat an eyelid at it and don't get too riled up. And that really annoys me. Really, really annoys me. I just think, just to say it the way it is, pal, no one can buy a home, young or old. That's it. So, yeah. Just wanted to get that yeah. off my chest. I'm sure you agree with all that. So, yeah. Not much to discuss here, but get that off. <laughs> no disagreements. Yeah. Um, okay. Though I have not been subjected to Sartre's attentions yet, I fear that any day he may come, he and his bailiffs backed by Tamari Marines. Um, I like that because it's like a bit of a roller coaster, right? Because it's like, okay, oh God, I've collaborated in a way with the agitators and it's like oh but then pivan robbed my grain great all culpability is gone and then the sort of i guess realization again where it's like wait a minute the new power speed will just sweep through here and oh boy i'm in trouble again so once again i'm i'm feeling slightly for this guy this guy's emotions must be like an absolute roller coaster um and just reiterate i really like that because it's not a bland bad guy bad it's like bad guy is a um living person with feelings and you know is complex so fair play thank you um and then the final thing i have noted here uh, as you see mujits uh, or mujits my situation is dire perhaps a quote perhaps as dire as ever it was beneath the agitators and that was the final line where i was like you're so close okay you're just just one more step there buddy you're so so close but again it just never comes and all he does is like can I get some money off you, please? Um, so God bless him. Maybe, maybe um, uh, Glenn will um, will have some sort of realization. Maybe it will dawn on him. Who knows? Maybe he'll be converted in a later date. Um, but yeah, those are my thoughts. What have I missed? Uh, nothing really. Um... Apart from, apart from the obvious callback, now that you brought it up with the grain, yeah, yeah, no, no, nothing else. Um, yeah, okay. It's it sounds like it kind of landed the way I wanted it to land. Like this, this guy is not. We, you know, we don't want to 
to be on her side. He is he is kind of against the agitation and he, he wants the status quo to, to remain, but he is he is witnessing the the violence that is necessary for the status quo to remain. Um, or that at least those in power are willing to to inflict because that's what they think is necessary for their own power. Um, and he's kind of realizing that it sucks, but he's still blaming the agitators for upsetting the apple cart in the first place. Um, he may be somewhat lying in, in the the bit about being forced to work with the executive. He may ha- he may have done it willingly, or more willingly than he suggests, and now he's just trying to cover his ass in case. Um, the bailiffs do come a knocking, um, and doesn't you know want to seem like a, a collaborator in conversation with his with his other business class pal. But um, wait, hang on. But that that doesn't seem in fitting with the character at all. Like may, yeah, but like may, may, maybe I, I don't know for sure. But maybe that that's that's what is hap- what is going on here. Just like he kind of went along with it, maybe more willingly than is than is being said here and now he's trying to cover himself and it doesn't necessarily mean he was pro agitation it just meant that he was doing he was doing what he had to do and didn't mind it that much right and he, he didn't kick up enough of a stink i suppose yeah um but like that's an easy you can easily sell that if i were uh Glenn there i would just be like it, it it's a coercive environment how could yeah. i ever do anything willingly the, the, they, they totally coerced me to work and there's no way of proving yeah. otherwise Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know the 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 bailiffs and the companies may not uh, may not care one way or another. Oh, Matt, do you know what just occurred to me? We because December was a bit mental for me. Um, we didn't actually have a normal December episode. We had the Christmas pub quiz, so we didn't mm-hmm. get our tradition of uh, a Christmassy, holidaysy sort of vibe uh, piece of prose um, with that sort of vibe. Like what was that? The, Is years, that a tradition? Yeah, years ago we had the um, the the something. At least one, but I don't remember others. Did we not have more? Oh, I thought we did. Or maybe I'm conflating the Christmassy one with the Halloweeny one, um, because you did also have, um, the one with the Grey Bowerin, the spooky tale. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so maybe maybe tale. I'm just conflating all of those kind of like time specific ones together, um. But yeah, we should we should aim we should aim to do more of that, more of those time specific ones. Um, next opportunity is literally Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. Um, shall we crack on? Let's. Abeski, the Abeski lang. The Abeski um, language. I have stuff to ask you about. Um, Let's do it. First, first things first, though, uh, I want to just plug the reference doc. So links in the show notes to the uh, the official, air quotes, Abeski reference doc, if you want to go check it out um, and read it while we're talking, I suppose. Um, all that sort of jazz. Anything, all the canonical stuff to do with Lang will be put in that doc. I just need to remind everyone it's a working document, so there'll be like notes all over the place. It could be a bit messy in spots, etc. But... Yeah, that link will always um, reference that same version. I will always edit that same version. So that's the sort of like permalink for the Abeski Lang. So in the show notes. Um, that's number one. And one day, Bill, if and when we get this this project finished, we may even print it um, and make a, 
make a physical reference grammar, which would be great. I thought you were saying make a fortune. I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, conlanging, it's a really lucrative industry. People are, <laughs> people are buying reference grammars left, right and center for conlangs. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the first thing. Uh, the other thing is I, before I, we're going to talk number in this uh, video, I was about to say, in this podcast. And um, okay. before I launch into that, I want to just give a shout out to Keras Sarian. Um, frequent contributor, also my doppelganger. Um, they pointed out something that's really cool uh, about the phonology that we were working on that I had not made. Um, I I had failed to make this connection. Right, you know the way you want the h sound, like the Welsh l. Yeah, and you also want the Czech or, which I can't pronounce. Yeah, yeah. So I looked at those and were like they are completely almost incompatible with one another. Like, that's, that's such a weird spread of of sounds. But um, historically, and I think Keras was the one who told me about this, uh, the Czech or came about through palatalization of a standard trilled or. Right. So, and, and the Czech or is a, I'm going to get this wrong, uh, voiced, raised voiced alveolar fricative trill, I think is the technical name for it. Um, so it's a trill that becomes kind of fricative right? Or put another way, it's a liquid sound that becomes kind of fricative-y. Um, well, you have an L, and if we palatalize that L, then um, you could make the argument that kind of almost by analogy, the L is becoming a bit more fricative So L turns into L. So there actually is a neat like synergy there that I just completely failed to make that connection. Um, yeah. So well done on thinking so diachronically when you're coming up with these sounds, Bill. That's me. <laughs> endlessly um, diachronic so it's a really nice justification and it got me out of doing the thing where I was because I didn't know how to make a really well I did but the, none of the methods worked and the best one I could come up with was just do what Welsh did um, at the start of words with that screw but everything but now that there's this connection with the with the liquid sounds that makes everything just so much better um, so awesome stuff shout out Keras thank you so much um, now let's talk number right so we've we've just about done the phonology and the sound changes. I have a few tweaks left to do, so we need to start working on the grammar next. I find that the easiest place to start is with nouns, because nouns are easy, verbs are awful. Um, I'm with DJP on this. They're terrible. I hate them so much. Um, so we begin with nouns to make my life easier. And I think the easiest place to start with nouns is working out number on nouns. And that is specifically, I'm sure you're aware, the, the ability to be able to mark for an entity versus many entities dog versus dogs right yes that's where we're going to start so the first question is have you had any thoughts on this anything in your mind about how you might want to do this or do you have you come across any fun things in language that you like um etc um i'm not really aware of anything fun in language that i like um period just yeah. Yeah, not in reference to number, just in general. Boring. <laughs> I'm noted for holding that opinion. Um, I, I think we should have singulars and plurals. Yep, that would be good. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, good, you're good. Um, so uh, let me launch into questions then to try and pick your brains and see where sure. you might be at. Um, first things first is uh, I want to get a feel for what the sort of typology of the language you're after. So um, in general, there's like three categories at work here. Uh, just to preempt some comments, I appreciate that these things are a spectrum, uh, etc. But I'm just going to present them as categories just for easy discourse here. Um, 
You basically have three types of language. Analytical languages, agglutinative languages, and fusional languages. Do you know what these words mean? Broadly. So analytic is like words are very, very separate and discrete. Um, and fusional is kind of the opposite end where they mash together lots and agglutinative is kind of in between. Yeah, broadly, yeah. Analytic is almost as you basically as you described, think Mandarin, um, isolated words that don't really interact with one another uh, very much. Agglutinative, uh, think gluing together. It's where loads of little bits stick together in long chains to form uh, like grammatical structures. Um, and fusional is where those kind of long chains of stuff have just smushed down and become unanalyzable. Um, so the key thing with agglutination is that you can look at uh, a word and you can kind of see each of the individual parts. Uh, so kind of think of something like the word like unfriendly. You can see that the un thing means a certain thing. The friend thing means a certain thing. And the lee thing means a certain thing. You can kind of split it apart, right? As so opposed you, That one is which? Un, uh, agglutinative, agglutinative. That's agglutinative, yeah. Um, uh, just as an expedient example, I'm not making the case that English is agglutinative. And fusional is where uh, things smush together. So you have something like, say, hablo in Spanish where uh, the O at the end, sort of, uh, means like present tense, uh, indicative, first person singular. And all of those meanings have become like smooshed into this one thing. You know, it's not like yeah. individual things that you can see exactly what each of them are doing. Um, so analytic, think Mandarin, uh, agglutinative, uh, think something like, I guess, Turkish, uh, fusional, think something like Spanish. Um, have you any thoughts on the sort of vibe uh, with respect to a Besky? Um, I I guess agglutinative because that that sounds kind of like um the way in Russian you can have a lot of prefixes and things um that that modify words a lot. It's a very it's a very morphic language. Uh, so does that seem morphic? like morphic? Yeah, like like things change a lot. Um, like bits of words change a lot and. Yeah, it's worth noting that Russian will be considered kind of fusional. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it doesn't mean that you can't have like... Because again, What's English? Well, English is like broadly analytic. Um, but like it doesn't mean that... Again, I said at the start, this is a spectrum, right? right? So not everything fits neatly into these precise buckets. So you can have things that are like, you know, highly analytical or like weakly agglutinative, strongly agglutinative, that sort of thing. Um, okay. The point so, I was somewhere on the kind of a gluten fusional cusp, then I suppose. Okay. Okay. Grant. Grant. So that just that helps with determining how we're going to mark these things. Um, so the next question then is um, number marking. Uh, you do want number marking. You would like yeah. the ability to, to be able to distinguish grammatically between an entity and many entities. Yeah. Right. And I'm assuming with the gluten fusional thing you said, you want this to occur smacked on to a noun. Like dog, dogs. You don't want something like a separate word to indicate many of a thing. Yeah, not like dog single, dog plural. As yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that that would not be what I want. So exactly, okay, cha cool. changing the word, changing the word. Excellent, excellent. Okay, now in terms of values, um, we have a whole host of things open to us here. Uh, or I guess actually, no, no. I'll, I'll do the values first. Um, you obviously singular, plural. That's like the basic system mm. but added to that you can have duals which mark for specifically two of a thing 
um, trials or trials, however it's pronounced, mark specifically for three of a thing. You can have pawkles that mark for like a few of a thing, but less than plural, which marks for like lots of a thing. Uh, you can have greater and lesser versions of each, you can have all of these sort of things. So I guess the question to ask is how simple do you want the system? Do you want a very simple, clean, singular, plural thing? Or do you want them to care lots about, you know, um, the sort of specific, specific numbers involved? I just think singular, plural, to be honest. I, okay. I kind of like the idea of, of Porkle, but I think that would just overcomplicate it for, for me, so... Okay, grand. Um, I'm glad you didn't say singular plural pockle because there's a hierarchy at play and that would be difficult to do without adding other numbers in. Um, that's cool. I'm 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 such a fan of you not giving me a ton of work to do. I love it. Singular plural. <laughs> done. And and within that we can do fun things like you know the way there's so many plural endings in English like cacti, octopodes dogs we can come up with a bunch of like different endings based on different type of nouns and you d it doesn't have to be boring um yeah. and but some I guess, words they don't change and some words they don't change exactly um and, and then you've got like peoples which is like a plural twice peoples is like a plural twice yeah i guess so yeah <laughs> that's fair um th this leads on to the next question then how clean and messy should this be do you want something where it's like very very easy to learn like you got a noun you want to make a plural you put this affix on it and you're done or do you want more of what i explained before where different types of nouns take different plurals maybe like nouns referring to humans take a different plural than nouns referring to inanimate objects um that kind of thing how messy? Fair, fairly clean. Fairly clean. Fairly clean. Do you yeah. see your your people caring about animacy? Like kind of making grammatical distinctions between animate things and inanimate things, etc. So, I mean, that, that's getting into noun categories as a concept. Yeah, but, but, but we're not, but not class. We're not talking class yet. Um, but yeah, yeah, broadly. Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe, okay. Okay, maybe. all right, grand. I might have, um, but with the option to take it out later, but maybe. Okay, okay, cool. Um, now, number, the other thing is you're you're basing this off Russian, uh, Russian noted Indo-European language. Um, a thing Indo-European languages like to do is mark, use number to show politeness. Um, for the record, I just want to state actually that this is not just purely based in Indo-European languages, but they are kind of like very fond of them. Um the thing, like, you know, in French uh, or in German, where you use the... Yeah. I think, is it French you use the first-person plural to be polite? German, you use the third-person plural. Um, so when you're talking to someone in German, you don't say, if you want to be polite, you don't say, um, you are here. You say, like, they are here. Um, and that is a form of formality. Is that something you would like to do? Do you see Diabeski being very preoccupied with politeness and specifically politeness in this manner by using number? Uh, not using number. No, they might they might have some kind of distinction like that, but I don't think using number. Um, but is so is that like literally directly that they're they're using plural for politeness, or is it by coincidence it's it's become that in different languages? Because I know in like in English. Oh, I suppose yeah, you plural yeah instead of thou. It's not just coincidence then? No, no. Uh, I think the idea is that uh, you um, you avoid mm. direct reference to be polite. 
Um, you're deliberately, you know, avoiding pointing the finger, being like, you, can I talk to you? Because that's a bit kind of like intimate. So you obscure that by choosing a different number. As far as I know, anyways, I could be entirely wrong about that, but I, I don't ever remember reading anything that, that says that it's a linguistic uh, coincidence. Um, so that's not a thing that you particularly want to do, this tuvu distinction. Yeah, you see, because I, I, I never thought of that being a number thing. Um, yeah, okay, there, there may be some kind of politeness thing, but it's not number. Okay, okay. So maybe something like um, honorific terms, like you're referring to someone, you say like master wants food something like that you put in like or, a, yeah or some kind of particle or something yeah okay yeah grand 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 okay um cool all right i'm really glad that you make this easy on me that's wonderful uh, i want to go through just real quick god this i thought this would take ages for blasting through this is wonderful um real quick i just want to talk about some of the more uh I, number adjacent stuff uh that is fun and i want to see again if any of this kind of v- vibes with you in terms of a besky um, this is not number per se. I w- want to make this kind of clear. It's number adjacent. Um, first one, associative plurals. Um, this is a thing that some languages do uh, where they have the ability to mark, kind of neatly mark, um, what in English we would use words for like and them um, to convey. So for example, if I was like, uh, John and them have gone to the shop. Um, some languages don't have a don't use a bunch of words there. they have just one little suffix and that basically means John and his associates go to the shop et al et, et, et al exactly exactly um, and I have an example here in the show notes from Hungarian I'll just read it out for people but uh, mm-hmm. forgive my Hungarian pronunciation here uh, Janos I think means John that's John singular uh, if you have Janosok uh, again, forgive the stress, that's John plural, literally Johns, in the sense of more than one person called John, multiple Johns. But then you can also have Janosek, uh, which is John with the associated plural, and that means John and his associates, John and his group, John and them, John and the lads, etc. John plus <laughs> those closely associated with them. And I what I think is really cool about this is you could see why uh, or a place where I think associative plurals could come up an awful lot is in kind of like news coverage, I suppose. You know, the way you often hear things like the president and his uh, cabinet have met to discuss legis- legislation. If a language had associative plurals, you'd just yeah. be like presidenti, like president and associates. President yeah, President Tikal is, uh, you'd, you could use it there, which I think is kind of fun. Yeah, um, I like that. You like that. You would like some, uh, that. Okay, now the follow-on question then is, how do you feel about reduplication? Um, is that a vibe that uh, works with you? So that is where, you know, if you had a word like dog, and say you wanted to make an associated plural, you would do the dog. You would like D-O, D-O-G. You'd reduplicate some part of yeah. it. Yeah. Do you like that? Is that a vibe that fits? Because very often I think no. associated plurals are associated with uh, reduplication. No, I don't like it. You don't like it. No reduplication. Okay, that goes no, on. I list. mean, like maybe emphatic reduplication like we have in English or whatever, but not uh, not for something like that. No. Uh, we've pluralization. Emph- we've emphatic uh, reduplication in English? Yep. Like, uh, example? I like her, but I don't like like her. I don't, okay, okay, sure, sure, sure. Um, okay, but you like the idea of associated plurals? I don't like like it. 
<laughs> I really like it. I don't just like, um, like it. I like, like, like it. <laughs> uh, I like the idea of associative plurals, yeah. Okay, grand. That's um, a fun little thing. Do you... Uh, and uh, No, I'll just crack on. Uh, do, do, uh, do you like the idea of dis- uh, distributive plurals? So these are, again, not specifically marking number, but marking... How do I even begin to interrogate this? The distribution of objects i suppose so you know in english where you'd be like i scattered books here and there like i threw books all over the room some languages will just be like i scattered books or let's say bookie and that means that several entities have been distributed over space um or another thing that crops up is you might have like uh, i saw lots of rocky and that e might mean a distributive plural but specifically distribution over sorts so it would not mean that you saw lots of similar rocks it'd be like you saw a variety of different types of rocks all of which is handled by a nice little suffix again is that a thing that vibes with you yeah yes as well okay it's, yeah. it's getting more complicated okay it's getting more complicated um <laughs> it's I should been really... such smooth sailing so far <laughs> i was so happy with singular plural and now we're getting uh we're getting into the weeds, which is fine. I reserve the right to uh, change your mind for you if any of these things um, conflict with one another. But as far as I know, all of these different uh, type of number adjacent stuffs can coincide perfectly well with standard number marking. Uh, but I reserve the right to change that upon further sure. investigation. Uh, final thing is a collective uh, number. Uh, collect again just to preempt some comments the word collective is, is used in a whole bunch of different ways in linguistics uh, and it can mean a whole variety of things specifically in this context I'm referring to considering multiple entities as a single unit right so let's say you had a word that was stick right you could have a plural sticks which refers to you know in your mind's eye if you hear the word sticks you're kind of seeing a bunch of sticks laid out in front of you you know yeah. many Many individual elements. But you could also have another pluralization strategy, I guess, a pluralization strategy, where you have something like sticky. And that E means lots of sticks, but consider them as a unit. So that could mean like specifically a bundle of sticks. Um, or I don't know, is there a word for a bundle of sticks? I want to say uh, something fascist. like a... A fascist. A fascist. Yeah, which is where oh. fascism comes from. It's a bundle of rods. Apes together strong. Apes together strong. Oh, have you not have you not seen the the Planet of the Apes films, the new ones? No, they made new ones. Yeah, from like twenty seventeen or something. Wow. They're really good. Are yeah. they? Yeah, 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 really good. Oh, um, I I watched the first one. And like this is going to be really terrible. And I'm going to enjoy it. And it was actually it was actually loads of fun. It was a good film. Um, but like Caesar, who's the who's like the smart ape, is trying to explain to the other apes that they can like stick together, and he like breaks kind of three sticks, and then he breaks, then he puts a bunch of sticks together and tries to break them, and they won't break, and he says apes together strong, um, but that's that's literally like the 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 origin of the word fascism is in fasces, which was like a bundle of rods, and um, that would be like strong altogether. Which is not oh. to say that Caesar the Ape is a fascist, just that they <laughs> they both, on a certain level, recognized c- collective power. Oh, I, I had no idea about that etymology. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I, I've written down a specific za- example here on collective number. It comes from a language called Yana, I believe. No idea what Yana is. 
um, where it's spoken, etc. But there is a word e. Um, technically, there's a glottal stop out the front, but I can't do that. So e, and that means a tree or a stick. And then if you have iwi, uh, that with the collective suffix we being the collective suffix, that becomes firewood. So a bunch of sticks, like a bundle of sticks, basically a bunch of sticks expressed as uh, a unit, um, which I think is, is is quite interesting. Thoughts. That's cool. Okay, so okay, so I'm getting vibes of no, no, it's fine, it's fine. I'm getting vibes of you don't. This language seems not to care too much about marking. We'll say absolute number, but cares lots about describing how the various entities are interacting, be they distributed over space or in association with one another or as a unit, uh, which I think possibly is quite cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure, not sure I, I, I'm as interested in the distribution over space, but the distribution over sorts is kind of, kind of interesting. Like there's a word that means uh, different kinds of herbs. Like that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, like as a pluralization of herb that means different varieties thereof. Yeah, correct. So yeah, you'd have you'd have some you'd have the word herb, and then you'd have herbs. That means like that would mean lots of a particular type of herb, and then you'd have like herby. That means many different types of herbs. Um, and I'd, how would there be a way to combine that? So it'd be lots of different kinds of herbs, like lots yeah. of each of different kinds of herbs. I, I'm 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 sure I can come up with something. I, we're getting into the concept of constructed number then, nice. um, which is fine. But yeah, you can totally do that. It's it reminds me of I think it's Breton. That's a really weird pronunciation of that Breton. Breton, <laughs> um, Breton, where, Breton, the town is for tonal. Yeah, sure, Breton. exactly. <laughs> uh, that the actual language is just Bre, and then there's a subset like the Breton, the tonal Bre. Um, but yeah, I, I believe in Bret in Breton, um, there is there's a dual, so specifically two of a thing. Um, so like you could say like eyes, uh, or like again using our thing here, I, uh, which means exactly two eyes. But then you can also attach the plural onto that, so that that becomes many sets of two eyes, so several yeah. pairs of eyes. Um, so they can kind of like bang together like that. So we we could totally figure out a way of doing something there. Um. And it's good that you bring up the, the notion of you're not into the distribution over space, but the distribution over co- uh, kinds. That's also perfectly naturalistic. Languages can do, can get into as much granularity or as little granularity here as um, as is desired. So that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. All right. Well, that is interesting. That is not a place that I thought uh, you would go. And I'm glad because that doesn't feel very Indo-European to me, which is cool. Nice. Nice. Okay. And a final thing I'll say on this is just, um, I've almost certainly got stuff wrong there because a linguist I am not. Uh, the reference material for this was Cambridge Textbooks in Linguistics Number uh, by Greville, I think, G. Uh, Corbett. I'll leave a link in the description. So if anything uh, piqued your fascination there, um, check out that book. It's great. It's really good. Uh, and remarkably digestible for as far as linguistics textbooks uh, go. Um, so, yeah, if anything sounds suspect in there, read the book. It's got the correct information, basically. Um, cool. All right. Well, as always, I will go away and, oh, I should say for people, yeah, sorry, I'm going to work on Bill's Lang 
on stream. It's a patron-only stream that is both patrons of this podcast and patrons of the the main channel. So I will post links on uh, the various patrons, Patreons, when I'm streaming so you can come along and watch me uh, work on the language and then I'll come back, present it to Bill, rinse and repeat. Hopefully at the end of the day we have, some, we have a language that doesn't entirely suck. Um, so yeah. <laughs> That is me. Shall we? We've a little bit of time left. Uh, can I talk about Outlander in Green Room? Let's Green Room. Let's do it. Okay. Outlander. I mentioned in the main show. Um, yes. It's. Do you know what this TV program is? Uh, time travel, big handsome Scotsman. That is a remarkably succinct summary. That is essentially the show. Um, just, I want to. I want to recommend this to people. I, I can't a hundred percent recommend it because there are bits in it that are, are. I'm just like this is silly or this is a bit like um, cringe and things like that. But broadly speaking, it's a good show. And you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you may be sort of aligned with myself and Bill, particularly Bill in this instance. It's like an 18th century period sort of thing, which is to my mind very bill uh very very bill and um if you're like-minded i would recommend checking out links in the show notes um the things the only thing i wanted to bring up here is just to talk about the the gimmick of the show because it did as far as i'm aware this is rather unique um and what it is is and this is no spoilers here so you're fine folks um uh, the, the gimmick is that, as you mentioned, it involves time travel. There's a person who is knocking around in 1940s and she manages to end up going back to the 1700s and um, does a whole bunch of stuff, right? <laughs> um, on the face of it, that doesn't seem that unique. But what's really interesting, I find, is that this is like periodception. It's like it's a period drama set in the 40s but also a period <laughs> drama set in the 1700s, right? Which is just, it's just very, very strange. And then on top of that, I've not seen any um, any work of art um, handle time travel in a way that they handle it on Outlander, right? Because, you know, most of the time with time travel, like the sort of overarching, um, I guess, plot point is a discussion of timelines and you know, I can't go back in the past and, and kill Hitler because if that happens, then the world will blow up, etc. Like the butterfly effect and all sorts of jazz. This yeah. show, and by association, by, by extension, I'd imagine the books uh, upon which the show is, are, is based, just don't pass any heat on that at all. And it's kind of awesome. Like they are... That sounds great, yeah. Yeah, they're so <laughs> gung-ho about it. And like... Uh, th- Mild spoilers. No, this I'll make it vague enough. Um, the one of the sort of plot points in the early uh, season is that they want to change the outcome. They, they want to make sure that modern Scotland is, uh, or at least one character wants to make sure that modern Scotland is different from how it is now, right? Um, so they are like deliberately going in there and deliberately fecking with the timeline and no one's talking about the philosophy of it. They're just out there doing things, which I think is wonderful. And I think that's almost exactly what most people would do. Um, I think most people would be like, well, at least I would. It was like, you go back in time, you're kind of like, I've, I've, I have a chance to maybe right the wrongs of the world. And if it messes up, I don't get to see it. <laughs> Who cares? And I would just go ahead and do that. So I just thought that was extremely, extremely refreshing and novel. Uh, now, at this point, you're probably going to turn around and say that actually it's been done loads. But for me, anyways, this is my first exposure to sort of like anti-time travel, time travel stuff. Yeah, like just not, not caring about the consequences. That's kind of fun. Yeah. 
I think so. And then, the, you know, like I said, the periodception, which is like, it's like, it's a war. It's a war. Uh, in, in a way, it's a war drama. It's a, in the 40s period drama. It's a 1700s period drama. drama. It's a sci-fi sort of, a sci-fi adjacent sort of time travel thing. It's so weird to break down. Um, very fascinating. So I consider, like I said, people should go check it out. Even if you watch just a season of it to get the vibes of it. It's very, very interesting. Um yeah. Where, where is the character from the 40s based, like, geographically? Um, they are English. Right. Are yeah. they in London? They are... They may come from London, but that's not an important point. We meet them We meet them in Scotland, and they are... Okay. Yeah, they are in Scotland for some reason, and then the time travel occurs. So we only... We don't... Or at least as far as I've watched, we don't see them in their sort of native setting, you know? Because the reason I ask is, um, you could make, uh, you could add an extra layer to it by mashing it up with the nineteen nineties sitcom Good Night Sweetheart. Do you remember this show? No. So Good Night Sweetheart. It stars. Um, I think that's what it was called. It stars Nicholas Lindhurst, who was um, Rodney in Only Fools and Horses. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and he's from the 1990s. You know, it's, it was set contemporary to when it was when it was uh, broadcast. And he has a portal to the 1940s. And he has like two lives. He has a wife in modern times, and he's a wife back in the during the Blitz and stuff. Um, and he like travels back and forth between them. So you could have that and have it run like <laughs> concurrently with Outlander. So there'd be a third layer. <laughs> I mean, that's on brand for this show, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is that is Outlander, real fast. Uh, the other thing is D and D, and then uh, we can we can wrap up. Um, I, I want to encourage everyone if you haven't for some reason been living under a rock and you haven't had a chance to do so already, play Baldur's Gate Three. It is so good. It is quite possibly one of my favorite games of all time. Possibly now my favorite. And it's so good wow. that it's made me kind of give side eye towards Final Fantasy. Um, <laughs> and like Final Fantasy, like is, I stan Final Fantasy. Like I love Final Fantasy, but like I played 16 earlier in the year and compared to Baldur's Gate, like 16 is just like garbage. And I know they're doing different things, but like, it's just, there's Baldur's Gate is so rich and immersive and like the, the replayability, it's just, oh, it's just such a good game. So I'd go check it out. But um, an interesting sort of story is that we, over the Christmas, I met up with an old friend um, and we had a one shot uh, D&D thing, uh, a, a Christmas team one where we all had to defeat Krampus and it was very fun. Um, <laughs> but I found myself for the first time ever, like truly getting D&D because of Baldur's Gate 3 uh, and not getting it in the sense of like I don't understand what the interest is here but like a, a sort of deep understanding of the mechanics and it just ran so much better for me because I wasn't having to like constantly talk to the GM and be like so what can I do here what's this this says sneak attack what's that now and I was just it, it really it was so much more immersive and I had so much fun so um yeah just little story. We bet Krampus competently, essentially. And you saved Christmas. And we saved Christmas. Yes, exactly. We did. Um, it was it was a very... I won't get into the, the whole spiel of... Because it, it was a homebrew thing, obviously. I'm, I'm pretty sure Wizards of the Coast or whatever don't don't have a bespoke like Christmas Krampus 
campaign. Maybe they do. I don't know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. And there's a lot of uh, third-party publishers um, mm. who will do stuff like that, despite the the things Wizards of the Coast tried to pull this year, but oh, last year. Oh, pray tell. Um, they tried to make it so that anyone... Oh, I, just, I can't remember the details, but they, they, they basically went back on the, the license that has existed for third-party products for about 20 years and said that anyone who uses it at all now owes us a cut of what they what they make from from selling with the OGL, oh. which, was, which was called the Open Game License. Ooh. And there was there was huge, huge backlash to it, and they eventually walked it back um, because I think it would have been illegal to do what they were planning to do. Um, but as a result, like Pathfinder... Um, have remastered their whole system and changed terminology so it no longer uses open gaming license terminology. Um, oh. Yeah, there was, there was a big backlash against it. The way we, I'm assuming then I take it that we don't like Wizards of the Coast. Oh, no, no, no. No, okay, okay. Big bad. Okay, they're as bad as that bakery and the guy who runs it. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, that's it. Baldur's Gate Tree Advocacy had a class game of d and I can play d and fully enjoy it now, which is wonderful. Um, that's me. Have you got anything to add before we wrap up? I have Baldur's Gate 3, but I haven't gotten around to playing it yet. Ah, um, rookie I'm error. trying to... I'm, uh, well, I have to I have to finish 1 and 2 first because um, I'm replaying those before I, before I... I know they're not actually that connected, no. but I really enjoyed those games when I was younger, so I want to <sighs> revisit them. Lil... Uh, is that short for Little Bill, or is that just short for L's? Taking yeah. L's. No, like L Bill, Loser Bill, Lil. Lose, loser Bill. It right. was a callback. Did I get the joke earlier in the show? That's exactly what I was clarifying. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, Lil. That was it inherent is. to the question yeah, I asked. It, it is, and uh, it, had you played Baldur's Gate Three, you would be Will, um, but you, you you haven't, so you're Lil. Um, yeah, I did play uh, a different game, uh, like tabletop game, recently. Um, which I really enjoyed and actually kind of cuts out a lot of the the problems implied by what you were saying there about having to like know exactly what you're doing and talk to the GM and stuff. Oh. Yeah. Um, I played a game called Aegon, which is by a designer called John Harper, who's made one of my other fa- favorite games called Blades in the Dark. And the, the premise of Aegon is is you are playing as Greek heroes returning from a war who get lost at sea and they encounter uh, different islands with different like trials and mysteries and opponents and things on them. And it's got very, very uh, little dice rolling in it and it's very non-tactical. It's, it's very, very narrative. So instead of, you know, oh, well, does, can my character use a bow or can he use an axe and where am I standing and... And things like that. It's just it's all big picture stuff. So everyone rolls at the same time, and then they everyone narrates what their character does in order from the least successful to the most successful. And you can kind of just give very very free reign on on what your character achieves. It's a lot of fun. That is interesting because that that is a major downside I have with D anD D is the the pace is kind of ruined by dice rolling. Um, mm-hmm. Like you know combat sparks up and everyone's like roll initiative and the gm has to be like okay what did you get 14 can we make a note of that and what you get there and it just slows the whole shebang down um and i mean it's fine because you get a lot of benefit from that but anything that could speed that process up and make it more fluid i think is good yeah yeah for sure for sure um and sometimes i find that some of the 
the dice rolling plus like the elaborate modifiers can get a bit much sometimes as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I play all my Pathfinder, pretty much all my Pathfinder, um, on virtual tabletops these days. So a lot of the work is done. What, sorry, novice question here. What's a virtual tabletop? So we like we we talk over Discord as we play, and we're all like on a website that has the maps and has our character sheets, and like the the computer does the rolling and does the does the um, adding of modifiers and things. So the, I may have to cut this. You may tell me to cut this, but remember years ago, I had a notion that we should do a one shot on the show. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. We should really do a one shot on the show. We really should. We, we really, really should. should. Um, I would, I would, I would love to do that, but I would need to like, cause I'd, I'd, I'd like to do it in one of our settings. Mm. Mm. Mm, exactly. I have to think about how to do that. Yeah, that would be a really nice way of tying it in, get a whole bunch of people to play yeah. in. I'm going to assume Lansk, Lansk, e at this stage, because quite yeah. frankly, that's the only thing we talk about in the show, you know? Um, yeah. That would be kind of baller. That would be kind of... We, we should definitely keep that top of the list of things to do. Sure. Mm. It's it's never strayed far from my mind, but I would need to know... I would need to figure out the, the right way to do it. Okay, I'm going to beep this out, right? Mm-hmm. Because this this is an idea, but it's spoilers for, for future stuff, okay? Ready, okay. folks? Beeping begins now. We could do... Maybe... Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's pretty dope. Um, Okay, beeping over, but... Okay, those are our secret plans, our 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 pinky in the brain style plans to take over the world. Um, <laughs> and on that uh, auditorially aud- auditorially horrific note, um, the prolonged beep. Uh, I think we should uh, end the show. <laughs> Edgar, no, wait, not yet. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, folks, thank you so much for uh, watching and listening. Thanks for supporting the show over on Patreon. Again, may I remind you, streaming a be- work on a Besky for patrons. So please check out the relevant Patreons. Links in the description. Um, I want to wish everyone, uh, I should have done this to start, but I want to wish everyone a, a very happy new year. All the best uh, for health and happiness uh, for 2024. I hope I hope it's a good year for you all. Um Lots of W's, no L's, like Bill over here. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, Edgar Edgar out. out.